Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Dr. Lawrence Simon. The, sto- the show is The Stories We Live By. And today, we have a very sad story to talk about. It's the story of a little girl named Rebecca Riley who died as a result of the ingestion of psychiatric drugs at the age of three years old. And uh, I want to talk about how psychiatry, her parents, the media, and all of us at large helped murder this little girl. And to join with me uh, in this discussion is psychiatrist Phil Sinakin. And Phil, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement in this particular story, the Rebecca Riley story, and then we could talk about uh, what we both know about her and uh, what might be done to prevent this uh, from happening again, because I think we're both convinced this hasn't just happened once. This is not isolated. So what, what is your background and, and what's your interest in this? Well, my background is 23 years of clinical psychiatry, but... Uh, prior to going to medical school, I had already uh, been gotten involved in learning about humanistic psychology, and I, in fact, had a master's degree in psychology before I went to medical school, so I went in with a little different take and uh, was very enthusiastic about uh, psychiatry progressing into a more um, multidimensional way of thinking about people and have witnessed, unfortunately, just the opposite, which was a further and further regression into a simplistic model of mental illnesses being based in the brain and requiring medical intervention. And now I think the Rebecca Riley story uh, uh, is a visible and probably uh, something of interest to the culture since we don't pay attention to things very easily, but now that some young girl has died as a result of over an over ingestion of her own psychiatric medications, I believe that this is a story that requires attention and was in fact able to uh, suggest the story to sixty minutes through a producer that I know there uh, i I suggested it to them last spring, and they in fact put together a story and broadcast it uh, a week ago sunday uh, along uh, in their sixty minutes program um, I, I should tell you from my own background on this that when this case hit the hit the papers because it was a a, a law a high profile case uh the parents and we could talk about them in the whole context but the parents are now indicted for murder they're going to stand trial for the murder of this little girl um and i had written about uh uh this case after i i heard about it and it sort of put it to rest you know it haunted me for a while i couldn't sleep for days after hearing what was done to this child and what's being done to children all over in the name of psychiatric illness, uh, which nobody has ever been able to diagnose medically, and the ingestion, particularly of children, of pills, most of which haven't even been um, approved for use in children. They're approved, they're used what's called off-label. 
And when I saw the show and we had spoken, uh, it just aroused this outrage in me all over again. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about the, the case that you know it, and I'll pitch in as we go along. Well, my understanding is that this was a, um, a rather uh, economically deprived uh, family that was uh, not the children, the parents were not the biological parents of both children. One of those kind of what I would call uh, soap operas that we see in our country where people get together and neither is really skilled and neither has the capacity to make much money, but they have children, and they have three children in that family. There's a six-year-old, an 11-year-old, and Rebecca Riley, who died at age four. Uh, in desperation and under, I think, you know, tremendous sociocultural pressures, they took all three of these misbehaving children to a very legitimate uh, psychiatric facility, the Tufts New England Medical Center, uh, you know, a, a, a medical school-affiliated medical center. So we're not talking about some kind of a weird, you know, off-the-map clinic or, or a place where um, voodoo medicine is practiced. We're no, that would be somewhere where they don't prescribe medication right. in today's that, that world. Would be the voodoo. Right yeah. now, this is mainstream, and Tufts medical school is about as mainstream as it can Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Yeah. And this so was one of their... understand that. This was one of their employed psychiatrists, uh, who they immediately, by the way, issued a statement of support for after this occurred. Yeah, but she, she, she gave up her license to practice it temporarily. Temporarily, and you haven't heard much about her lately, nor has she no. granted any interviews. But, you know, this is not the least bit uh, uh, unusual uh, in the, the current trend. And, and psychiatry is very trendy, and it seems like the trends are being pushed by the pharmaceutical industry more and more. And the current trend is to recognize and diagnose bipolar disorder in children at any age, uh, but not by the standard criteria that we diagnose bipolar disorder in adults, but by criteria that are adjusted for children so that rather than the requirement being some sustained period of abnormal mood, we can just see someone that has temper tantrums, for example, right. and throws things. Now, before we go on, there was three children that were brought to the clinic. Right. And nobody interviewed these parents. And by the way, if you saw them on television, as I did, the mother, uh, if she wasn't limited intellectually, I don't know who would be. So they had three kids. And the idea that perhaps these parents weren't dealing effectively with the children, as when you and I came of age and started intervening in people's lives, uh, we would have thought the first thing is, how can we help these people be better parents? Correct. So the children are misbehaving, and rather than look at the entire family, its social context, its economic context, immediately the children are all singled out, and after, I bet you, a very short interview, are all diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Though they also were all diagnosed with attention deficit disorder as well. As well. They each received uh, two diagnoses, and treatment was initiated. Now, what I got hysterical about, and I didn't know whether to cry or laugh, here were the symptoms. The little Rebecca was two years old, right? Uh, 28 months when she 28 got 28 months. And these were the symptoms. She throws temper tantrums. And I want to know what terrible two doesn't throw tantrums. Because if that's an illness, mental illness, then all of my children and all of my six grandchildren were mentally ill at the age right. that Rebecca was. 
easily changes her mind. Can you imagine? Yeah. A two-year-old easily changes her mind is seen by this doctor, this trained doctor at Tufts University Medical School as having a symptom, therefore, of a mental illness and has mood swings. Have you ever seen a two-year-old who can't go from laughter to tears, abject tears, back to laughter inside of 30 seconds? Well, I would, I would call it hysterical, hysterical crying, yes. and back to laughing within yes. 30 seconds. Yes. Like my granddaughter. <laughs> like, like all of our children. Yeah. And that's part of the issue here, isn't it, Phil? That you could look at, at, that a doctor could look at these children and apparently not know anything about children and diagnose them as having a severe mental illness requiring drugs. Do you know what drug she was put on? Yes, I do. Give she it a was list. put on... It's never just one, is it, Phil? No, no, it's never just one drug because that's the, that's the fashion. As I said, things are very faddish. And right now, using more than one drug at a time is very faddish. My understanding, she was on Depakote, which is a anticonvulsant medication that has an indication for bipolar type 1 disorder in adults and really not much of a track record, a very uh, dangerous drug even for adults to take that it actually can kill you uh, by causing you to have acute hemorrhagic pancreatitis along with uh, wiping out your liver. So a very, a very dangerous drug, very but sedating. What was its primary indication? Wasn't it epilepsy? It was, it was all, all, most of the uh, anti-mania drugs now uh, the, the, were indicated as adjunctive anticonvulsants that you would add to dilantin or add to phenobarbital right. if they weren't working sufficiently. Right. But so Depakote got a reputation for bipolar. Right. Not, because the drug company said so. Well, of course. And, and apparently the same psychiatrists who don't know a two-year-old from a hole in the wall, <laughs> who are probably on the payroll of the drug companies, would never question whether or not this particular dangerous drug was either effective or safe. Well, I would say that the uh, medical schools in general are beholden to the uh, pharmaceutical companies for the majority of their funding. And, you know, I do know some horror stories about people who tried to stand up to that and found themselves without a job. Mm -hmm. But that was not the only drug she was on. Go ahead. She was on clonidine, which is actually not a psychiatric drug at any level. It's not indicated for any psychiatric disorders at all. It's a blood pressure medication for adults, and it has been uh, traditionally been found to be helpful to calm down and help ADD children sleep. I don't know why that particularly caught on, but it did. And many children that are on ADD and being treated with stimulants, which makes it hard for them to sleep, are then treated with clonidine at night, which helps them sleep. But obviously the, the action of the drug clonidine is to drop the blood pressure. Right. And so that makes it something you have to use with caution. The final drug she was on is Seroquel, which is a new player in the field. And it's, it's in the class of drugs called atypical antipsychotics, which are extremely expensive medications looking for a disease. They created these medications to treat schizophrenia, and that market was and I will speak in marketing terms here, that market was rapidly saturated. There's not that many people diagnosed schizophrenic. And so these, these drugs, which were blockbuster moneymakers for the drug companies, needed to find another disease to attach to. So they went into psychiatric hospitals and shown that, showed that they were effective in severely manic adult patients. Uh, that then is all psychiatry needs to launch a, a conceptualization of a drug 
as treating all all possible uh, manifestations of that illness uh, in all age groups. And so Seroquel has invaded uh, the doctor's office for multiple indications, one of them being bipolar disorder, but of course not this so-called rapid cycling uh, 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 atypical bipolar disorder in children, but that again doesn't matter. What it is is an extremely sedating drug, and if the listeners have any uh, experience with psychiatric drugs, it's what I would call the new Thorazine. It's a it's a medication that for its antipsychotic effect needs to be used in the four to five hundred milligram range, which they can never do because the people can't wake up. So now they're passing it out in small dosages like twenty five milligrams to use as a form really of a Valium type drug, a tranquilizer. And that is also something that uh, this young lady was on and it's extremely sedating. And the whole thing with the drooling and the vacant eyes and the shuffling gait can occur because of this medication. You know, it's interesting, just as a side story to this, this is known as an atypical uh, uh, antipsychotic, isn't it? Right. And what was interesting is that for a long time, and our listeners may not know this, I'm sure they don't know this, when schizophrenia was treated with lobotomies back in the 1950s, where they would cut part of the brain out, these drugs were shown to produce a chemical lobotomy, the thorazine, the stelazine. It was a whole Haldol. Of, of drugs. I'm sorry? Haldol is the, is Haldol. the most potent and of all of these drugs. drugs uh, um, produced a, a chemical uh, uh, lobotomy. It made the patient docile, uh, very sleepy, uh, hard to speak, um, uh, and many patients resisted resented it deeply. These are drugs that have no street market value because most of the people who take them hate how it makes them feel. It That's makes right. them feel dead. Uh, it's unlike you know, some of the stimulant drugs uh, that they give children for ADD or so-called ADD, ADHD, have a good street value because it gets you high. These drugs just deaden. They kill. And it was argued that schizophrenia was a problem with too much dopamine in the brain. There was no real evidence to support that, but that hypothesis came along, and that was a selling point for the drug companies. And suddenly, it was no longer a lobotomy, but a cure for too much dopamine. Right. Now, all of a sudden, you have these other drugs that are supposedly equally effective in the cure of schizophrenia or the control of schizophrenia, and they don't affect dopamine. That's well, actually, they do. Oh, they do? But they, they're, they're dopamine blockers at a much lower Potency. What what they also act on is certain uh, serotonin subreceptors. Uh, you, you know, actually, what this is all about really is you take a um, chemical, you give it to animals, then you give it to people, and if it does something you like, you work backwards and figure out well, what does this what does this chemical do, and then then you come up with your theory about what is the right. pathology that you're treating. Right. It's completely you what I call bass backwards. Yes, you invent you invent the illness to support the sale of the drug. Right. So now we have a little girl who couldn't weigh more than 25 pounds. 20 I'm pounds, sure not, yeah. On a cocktail of drugs, she's completely sedated. Her blood pressure, God knows what her blood pressure was. None of these drugs that she's on are now uh, uh, have ever been tested on children. They're all off-label. And what did her teachers say? What well, I've read the reports in the New York Times and, and, and in the Boston Herald, and, and the teachers would say that, number one, she looked sedated and would walk around like a zombie. And then, like, later in the afternoon, she'd kind of her eyes would come back to life. And this, of course, is when her morning doses were wearing off. 
and then she'd become kind of a normal little kid. But, you know, everybody's becoming immune to the concept of psychiatric illness in children and the need to treat them to the point that they don't feel some sense of uh, outrage or, or, or alarm in response to seeing a little kid walking around basically wasted when drugs. One of the teachers that was reported said she was like a limp rag doll yeah. when she was on these drugs. A limp rag doll. And they know something's wrong. The public seems to know something is wrong. But it's like they're in the thrall of something, aren't they? It's sort of like the Middle Ages where everybody said, well, it must be if the church says that these people are possessed, then I guess we have to go along with torturing and burning them. Yeah. Well, of course, it's more sophisticated, but, but basically I put, I put 100% of the blame on the psychiatric profession. And it's sheep-like uh, uh, following of the dictates of the pharmaceutical industry, which I, will, I cannot fathom. I cannot fathom how people that are have to be reasonably intelligent to get through medical school and choose to specialize in, in an area in which some of the great thinkers of all time have devoted their lives to creating thoughts and ideas about what motivates and drives human behavior, and that they can emerge from that training with basically a college freshman checklist mentality where someone is uh, given a checklist diagnosis and started on medications and the sophisticated response to the medications, quote-unquote, not working is to try some different medications. I tell my patients I could have a trained monkey go into my uh, sample closet and grab whatever was available and start them on it, and it would be justified at some level by the current thinking in psychiatry. Yes, and that this would be done to children. Now, the last estimate I heard is that there were 10 million children in the United States whose parents were going along with this horseshit. I'm sorry, I have to use the word, this, this fantasy, this marketing device, and have their children on psychiatric drugs. Although the that the parents of, of Rebecca Riley apparently really sedated her beyond what the doctor prescribed, which is why they're being uh, held uh, and they're going to be tried for murder. Well, that's not why they're being held. They're being held because this will be a high-profile case for the prosecutor. Yes. I mean, it's not nobody's standing there thinking there's this huge injustice or crime that occurred. It's just a high-profile case for the prosecutor. Yes. And they're kind of what you might label, or since we're um, you know allowed to say we want on radio, they're kind of white trash type people. And you know, if this was a upper middle class family, this wouldn't be occurring. I agree. And when they showed the wife, when they interviewed the wife, and I want to talk about that interview because sure. the media, you can say a hundred percent all you like that it's the psychiatric profession, but the media is deeply involved with yes. this. Because the media doesn't ask a critical question ever about this. If the psychiatrists or the so-called scientists say it, they A, don't ever question where's the real evidence for this, and B, they don't ask what's the consequences for the people who are going to be affected by this. Well, I can give you a very real-life example of the media uh, uh, orchestrating this story, which was not to interview me, even though I brought the story to them. And I sent them a ton of background information. I sent them things that I had written. And they made a conscious choice not to interview me because I would throw a wrench into the works of the structure of their story. 
Well, you'd be called what we're going to both be called for this show. Crazy. Yeah. By the way, I, I came up with... Dangerous. I came up dangerous, yes. I've been accused of being dangerous many, many times. And every time I'm accused of being dangerous, I take it as the highest of compliments. Yeah, and should. I ask, by the way, to whom am I being dangerous? The people who are being killed and affected by these treatments or the people who are making their money out of it? Uh, to whom are we really being dangerous? But I came up with my own diagnosis, by the way. I have psychiatric diagnosis denial disorder. Yeah. That's one. And both of us seem to suffer from another mental illness called independent thought disorder. A very serious but extremely rare condition in today's America. Yeah, or, or, or wisdom disorder. A wisdom, pursuit of wisdom, a wisdom is, disorder. Yeah, I mean, they have a thing they call evidence-based medicine now that's in, in, really in, in all of medical care that has negated the concept of clinical wisdom. Uh, to the point of it, you know, almost being a negative, you, you know, that, that someone can grab 20 research papers, which were all, you know, highly influenced by the pharmaceutical industry. And that's in every field from the cholesterol lowering drugs to the blood pressure drugs. I know. To everything that we take. And they'll grab 20 papers and, and accuse you of malpractice based on a lack of evidence that what you're doing is the right thing to do. And it's almost, you know, it's just kind of a, a, you know, I think an indicator of a general deterioration in culture where wisdom is no longer valued and it's no longer glorified and people like you and I can't even get a teaching job because we would not be teaching evidence-based medicine to these youngsters now whose entire, you know, perspective on mental health care and everything else in medical care will be derived from that, you know, a skewed position. Yes. So things are looking things are looking bad. I, I want to tell you a little bit more about that story. Just there's something I I noticed in, in the 60 Minutes story, the way they gloss over something. There was a scene. Uh, the good guy was the guy who ran a psychiatric facility for children who would reduce their number of medications from four to three or some you know some humongous risk like that. Of course, still saw them as ill, but there was this little probably six or eight year old kid sitting there with his mother, you know, and and. And she's, the, the mother says to the little boy, so what medications have you been on? And he starts ticking off, and I wrote it down, clonidine, lithium, Ritalin, Concerta, and Seroquel. For a five- or six-year-old kid to, to be so uh, um, aware of and to have a self-image being based on what medicines have you been on and then start ticking off a bunch of medicines used for the treatment of major mental illnesses is a frightening, frightening thing. Yes, he's and, been indoctrinated already. He's already indoctrinated, as is the Even mother. Even as you and I both know, Phil, his brain and his body are being deteriorated and damaged, and we're going to see the catastrophe of this in the next few years, although, I'm, although Katie Couric will probably cover it up, and the yeah. district attorney will probably cover it up and say that parents were bad parents and didn't do the right thing by the child. They should have known and not accepted that diagnosis will be the next thing. Yeah. You know, uh, let me just tell you an interesting, uh, uh, story that was in my local newspaper because the, it was, it was cataloging the increased use of atypical antipsychotics in children in, in Florida. And part of that was because it costs so much money. These drugs are eight, ten, fourteen dollars a pill. And Medicaid is paying for this. So they, they were showing that the cost of these particular drugs in children went from $5 million to $24 million over the course of the last five years. But the mother had a very insightful thing to say. She said that if medications don't help your child, you're screwed. 
And the real issue is the alternatives are being slowly but surely, uh, you know, eradicated. Any alternative theory or approach to troubled kids are being eradicated by the, you know, really almost a, a totalitarian regime of corporate America. They don't make money off of behavior therapy programs. They don't make money off of uh, family therapy therapists sitting there with the families for 12 sessions. They only make money off of drugs, and, the only, and psychiatrists only make money by prescribing drugs. And so this, when this woman said she was, you're screwed if the drugs don't help, she's, she's literally telling you the truth. She is. And you know what, it's, it's, but it's, it's, we have a few minutes left. I want to broaden it because I don't want to forget little Rebecca Riley. Okay. She'll be forgotten. When these guys are now coming home from war, nobody who ever goes to war comes back the same person. You're transformed by war, mm-hmm. by killing, by seeing people killed. By, by, uh, uh, you know, I always tell the story about the Vietnam vet that, that came home, and uh, he was on drugs and alcohol, and he couldn't sleep. And what had happened is that uh, he shot a little girl of seven who was about to actually was about to throw dynamite on the back of the truck where he and his buddies were. So it wasn't that that culture made a seven-year-old a combatant, and he killed her, right? And he couldn't ever get out of his mind the fact that as she fell, she came down in two pieces. Uh. Now... We don't question why these men were sent, and we don't question why they go. We don't question why war. We don't question this anymore, do we, Phil? What we now say is he came back with post-traumatic stress disorder, a chemical imbalance in his brain, and he's invalid because all of these kids are going to be invalidated. You don't believe somebody who's mentally ill. You give them drugs, and that shuts them down. And whatever they then say, well, it's because they're mentally ill. It's a symptom of the illness. And I do think that this psychiatry is one of the great evils in history because it works along with any kind of totalitarian system that destroys people or sends people to be destroyed and therefore invalidates them in terms of what's happened to them within that system that's been set up whatever crimes they've committed, whatever has horrible things have happened to them, been done to them, and the parents are not responsible. No one is responsible. The sickness lies within the individual. And it, it is so incredibly dangerous, and I agree with you. I don't see an alternative, except that any society that does this is going to collapse. That's right. We point, to the, we point to the psychiatric system in, in communist Russia, and say that if you protested communism, you were labeled crazy and sent to Siberia. Yes. Well, now if you protest capitalism, you're labeled crazy and chemically straightjacketed, yes. basically. If you say war is bad. No, if you say that my job sucks. Right. I mean, you don't have to, you right. don't have to, if you just say that, you know, the atmosphere at work is tense, it's competitive, it's nasty, uh, you know, layoffs are coming. Uh, I don't have enough money to pay my bills. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. And we give them, you know, uh, mood numbers. We are absolutely agents of the government and agents of the corporations in, in terms of, uh, you know, quieting down these squeaky wheels because we don't want them to get any uh, purchase in our country. And the number of psychiatric illness in the United States being diagnosed goes higher and higher yep. and higher. Not merely because the, 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 the drug companies are selling the drugs. 
and they want people diagnosed, but because more and more misery exists in this country for more right. and more people. Absolutely. And, and the result is an invalidation, drugs that are killing people. Uh, um, anyway, we can so when go you, on and when on. you say the downfall, the downfall is when there's not enough drugs. I mean, the, 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 the reality is that people are still have some degree of self-determination. And when they've been on seven different drugs in a row, like a patient that I saw this morning, and nothing worked, they actually come to the realization that there's something amiss. So do you think maybe that a rebellion could take place? No. No. <laughs> but I just think that at the level of maybe some individuals, you know. Well, some, well, we some hang up them. in a minute, I should tell you. Okay. Probably there will be two or three, four people maybe at most who have heard this show live. And probably 30, maybe. I, one of my shows, actually 75 people are, listen to the archives. Okay. All right. Not exactly something that's going to change history, although let me thank you for coming on. It's always a delight for me to speak with you. And let's hope that, uh, you know, we're trying to change the, 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 the direction of the Titanic, and you and I are in a little rowboat, you know. That's right. Coming up against the Titanic, but who the heck knows. The truth of the matter is you can't stop, can you? Well, you can never stop fighting because otherwise you just surrender and become an agent of the thing that you that you and, realize and, is and wrong. And deep down, know that really some shit is going on. Yeah, and evil's, evil is not too strong a term. I agree with you. Okay. Listen, Phil, thank you so much. Well, my pleasure. And uh, uh, like I say, if we reach out to three people, that's better than zero, huh? I agree. Okay. And I just let me, on November 5th, Monday at 8 o'clock, I'm going to be doing an interview. You can tell everybody you know. Okay. Listen to with Dr. Thomas Zoss. Oh, excellent. Yes, at 8 o'clock, an hour, and people, we're going to take phone calls. And hopefully we'll get a lot of people because Zas at least is, is one of my heroes anyway. And some people have actually heard of him. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Larry. To you. Take care. You and too. My listeners, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Bye bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.